turn to Psalms chapter 42. Psalms chapter <clears throat> number 42. And uh, I'm going to preach a little different of a message today. Normally on Sunday mornings we try to preach as the Lord would leave, but usually it's a message that is challenging and try to encourage you and stir your heart that we might be uh, better about the will of God and what he's called us to do. Um, but today's going to be just a little bit different. I want to encourage you today. I really do. That is my heart. My heart is burdened to uh, encourage our church in light of what Brother Nate mentioned a moment ago, all the difficulty we've seemingly had lately. And uh, what a blessing it is that to know that I don't have the words that our church needs right now. Uh, our church is going through an unprecedented season of grief, unlike any that I have ever experienced in all of my life, even as a church member uh, and particularly as a pastor. And I told my mom, I think it was Friday night, my mom called and she is encouraging me, trying to encourage me as moms do. And uh, she asked me how I was doing. I said, Mom, I, I don't know that I have anything else to say. After going through all that we've gone through, you do run out of words. You just don't know what else you can say to all the grief that you face. And, and yet what a comfort it is that we can go to the Word of God, and the Word of God always has something to say. And whatever you're going through, whatever your need is this morning, I, I don't know everybody that's here, but I'm sure every one of us are carrying some type of a burden and all of us have some type of a need today. And what a wonderful blessing it is and encouragement it is to know that this pastor doesn't have everything you need to hear, but the Word of God has everything that we need to hear. And Psalms 42 is what we need this morning. I have no doubt this is what the Lord would have us to preach out of today. I want you to remain seated. And I just want you to start in verse number one. And we're going to read down through several verses. We're going to pray and jump into the message. And I want you to ask the Lord to work in your heart through his word today. The Bible says, Psalms 42, verse 1, it's a very familiar passage we know well from the song. As the heart, or that means deer, panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God, with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. Look down, if you will, verse 5. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Let's stop there and pray together. Father, I do thank you. Lord, for the precious truth that your word is everything that we need. And Lord, you preserved it for us that we could go to it in good times and bad, in times of indecision, in times of doubt, in times of fear. Uh, Lord, what a solace it is to be able to go to your word and find what we need. Now, Father, we're going to do that today. And Lord, I can't uh, say what needs to be said, Lord, but I believe your Holy Spirit, and I trust the Holy Spirit today, will speak to the hearts of each and every one of us that are here and give us what we need, Lord, whether it be needs that are known or needs, Lord, that only are known to us and you. I pray that, Lord, you'd help us today. Help me, Lord, be an encouragement. Lord, help me to take your word and preach it the way you'd have us to. And, Lord, I pray that your will would be done during the invitation time today. Help us respond to it in however a way, Lord, you will lead us. And I thank you for what you're going to do today, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. As Brother Nate mentioned a moment ago, this past week we had another one of our faithful men go home to be with the Lord. Brother Cook went home to be with the Lord on Friday evening. 
And uh, I had talked to Brother Cook about an hour and a half before he went home to be with the Lord, and we were joking together, and we were cutting up together, and we'll speak a little bit more on that at the memorial service. But uh, we were getting off the phone and getting ready to go over to one of our basketball games, and uh, we were going to have some special things going on at the game on Friday night. And I walked over and was talking to uh, one of the coaches of the other team, trying to size up the other team, try to get any pointers we could to pass along to our coaches that might help us out just a little bit. And uh, I got the phone call from Miss Shirley that Brother Cook had taken a turn for the worst. And so not long after, I got in my car and began driving over as quick as I could to get to their house. And I was headed up uh, or headed west on Highway 98 and got there to where Hobby Lobby is, getting ready to turn left to head toward their home. And uh, there were cop cars and ambulances, and there was a bad wreck right there, I think, on Weatherby, Weathersby Road. And I was unable to get in there, so I went back around trying to circle around and get back to their home from a different direction. And the roads were backed up for about two miles because of a bad wreck that was there. Uh, on the road, and before I could get to their home, I, I got the call from Miss Shirley that uh, Brother Cook had finished his race and had gone on to be with the Lord. And it was an insult to injury, the fact that not only had he passed away, but I wasn't able to be there with his family. And my heart was broken, and I turned around and headed back down 98 and got on 59, headed back toward the church. And as we headed back to the church, I began to ponder in my heart the unfathomable grief that our church has experienced in this new year. This new year that we were hoping to be uh, a year of difference, a year that was much better and much brighter than the previous one that we went through, and yet here we are at the beginning of this year going through grief that the only word I can describe it is is unfathomable. Uh, Lord, uh, Lord Terry's, this week we will have our fifth funeral in five weeks. Unfathomable. Never experienced that in, in my entire ministry before. As I headed down 59, coming back to my office, as my heart was grieved, there's that temptation to ask that very, very common question when bad things begin to happen. Why? Why? Lord, one was bad enough. I said, Lord, we're losing our good men. We've lost some good men, and we haven't lost them. We know where they're at. They're with the Lord. But we've, we've lost them. Heading down the highway and just crying. And I'm sure the people that were past me on the highway thought that guy's having a nervous breakdown. I was just about. And you're so tempted to ask why, Lord, why? Why five in five weeks? Unfathomable. I learned years ago not to ask why. I did learn, to learn that years ago. I have not learned everything that I need to know and everything I could have learned, but I have learned not to ask why because I am incapable of understanding why God does everything that God does. I found out years ago my brain can't handle algebra very good. What makes me think that I can understand why God does what God does. First time I ever experienced it, I was nine years old. My grandmother, missionary, wonderful woman, missionary to Mexico, 52 years old, caught a disease on the field and died over here at, uh, at Merritt before they could figure out what the fungus was that had permeated her lungs there on the mission field. And I couldn't remember as a nine-year-old kid, Lord, why? Why did you take her? Why couldn't you take the drug dealers? Why couldn't you take the murderers and the abortion doctors? Why couldn't you take them? Why did you take my grandmother, 52 years old? serving on the mission field, left her home, left her family. Most of the holidays, she was down on there with the mission field with her family. Why did you take her? And here I am some 32 years later. I've still not answered why the Lord took my grandmother. And so I just resolved that I can't answer the whys. 
My brain is incapable. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 55 that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than ours. That means be careful trying to figure out God. If you could figure him out, he wouldn't be much of a God, would he? Can't figure him out, so I don't ask why. But tell you what I have learned to ask. I have learned to ask the question, what? This is what I've learned to ask throughout my Christian life. I can't answer why God does why he does, but I have learned to ask the question, what? And as I headed south on 59, I asked God, I says, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? I know that he makes everything beautiful in his time, and God can work all things together for our good. And so I know God is working, and I asked God as I headed down the highway, God, what are you doing? Because I know that I can trust him. I know that I can trust him. Even when it doesn't feel good, I can trust him. Even when it hurts, I can trust him. Even when I don't understand, I can trust him. And so even though I don't understand why God's doing what God's doing at Central Baptist Church, I don't know of another church that has suffered what we have suffered in the amount of time that we have gone through, five funerals in five weeks. Our church has lost some very good men. But I know that I can trust that Romans 8, 28, the Bible says that God can work all things and will work all things for our good. And so that, instead of asking why today, we're going to ask what? Instead of asking why we're grieving, we're going to ask God, God, what are you trying to do in the midst of our grief? And I believe in Psalms 42, we have a wonderful record of exactly what God can do in the midst of grief. Psalms 42, we have a record of the great grief that David is experiencing in. As I read Psalms 42, I got back to the office, I came in, I closed all of the doors, and I'm about to have a moment, just me and the Lord and my tears. Nothing wrong with crying. I went to the Word of God and I began to read Psalms 42, and I found something great in the midst of David's grief. As a matter of fact, when you read, and you can read what David's going through, look at verse number 1. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? David is having continual grief. He says it's continual. My tears are day and night, and that's what I feel for our church this morning. Our tears have been continual, seemingly both day and night. And yet as I read Psalms 42 on Friday night, I found that in the midst of David's pain, there was something priceless. I found that in the midst of his labor, there was something lasting. And I want to share that with you today. I did some reading last night. I got to thinking about diamonds and how diamonds are made and where diamonds come from. And in South Africa, there's a lot of diamond mines, and many of them are still mined by hand. There's people down there with shovels and scoops and, and just crude uh, tools to dig out the earth and pile up the dirt and earth and sift through that earth trying to find those diamonds that are there. And I was just very curious about how much dirt has to be moved in order to find one diamond. And uh, I did a little math. I did it for you, so I hope this illustration encourages you, okay? They have to move seven tons of dirt to find one carat worth of diamond. Seven tons of dirt to find one carat's worth of diamond. You ladies, I hope you appreciate them very much. Somebody had to move a lot of dirt to get that diamond. You look it up in the shovelfuls. I just had to break it down on common everyday terms. There are 400 shovelfuls in a ton. That means there's 2,800 scoops of a shovel 
to get one carat of a diamond. And I think about that poor guy that's down there in that hole and he's digging. I watch videos on it. And he's digging dirt and digging dirt and digging dirt. 2,800 shovelfuls of dirt before he can find one carat's worth of diamond. And I think about his toil and the grief of digging in that dirt. But I think about how that quickly goes away when he finds that diamond. It's worth his toil. Suddenly he finds that there is worth in the work that he's going through and he finds something good in the midst of all of his grief. And this morning, that's what I want to preach on today. I want to help us find some good in the midst of all of our grief. We've been shoveling a lot lately, haven't we? We've been digging out of grief and digging out of grief and digging out of grief. But I want you to know something. It's not in vain. There's some good that can come out of our grief, and Psalms 42 shows us just that. So this morning, let's look at this subject, if we could, of finding good in our grief. It's easy for us to focus on what's been going wrong. It's easy for us to draw our attention to what's been grieving us and hurting us, but God is working in the midst of all of this. Aren't you glad? God can take something that we seemingly look at as, as heartbreaking and a loss, and God can turn it to our profit. I read a story a while back about a man who was a lone survivor. He was a sole survivor of a shipwreck, and he was marooned on a deserted island. He woke up after washing up on shore and realized he was all alone and ran up and down the shore calling out for help. There was no one to help him. He was all by himself. He sat down, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed that God would send an airplane, someone to come and rescue him, and no airplane came. He prayed that God would send a rescue ship, and no rescue ship came. And so finally, he just gave up hope. He said, you know what? I'm going to build me a little shelter here. And he collected some of the debris off the ship and put it in the little shelter that he had built. Nice little shack that was there. Built him a little fire there in the middle to go cook some fish. He left the, the home and went out to the sea to get him some fish and caught him some fishes. And he came back to cook the fish at his little shack. He noticed that the fire had spread and burned down his little shack. He's sitting there thinking to himself, God, what are you doing? God, I'm already marooned on a desert island. I'm by myself. I don't have anything to my name other than a little bit of debris. I built this little makeshift shack. I put my stuff in it, and now the fire has burned all of that up. God, what are you doing? I've asked you to help me. And the man began to weep, and he knelt down, and he wept himself to sleep. He was awakened the next morning by the sound of voices. He looked up, and a group of men were standing around him. The men were from a rescue ship. And he says, my prayers have been answered. God has sent someone to rescue me out of all of my grief. And he says, how did you find me? They said, we saw your smoke signals. We saw the smoke signals. The guy thought to himself, here I was, grieving over what I had lost, and yet God was about to use that to get me something that I needed. There was something good to be found in his grief. Now, folks, Central Baptist Church, and I know everybody here today is not part of Central Baptist Church, but everybody's going to grieve. And you need to know how to find something good in your grief. And I believe Psalms 42 is going to show us that. And I want you to open your heart today. We need this. I needed this. And I pray the Holy Spirit will make it clear to us today. Now, look down if we could. The context of this passage is David is, is exiled. David has left the throne. He is being pursued most likely by Absalom. His life has been turned upside down. He's out of his palace. He's left the throne room. He's out of his palace. And now he has left his comfort zone and he is on the run. He's unable to worship God. He's unable to sing in his presence. He's unable to come into the presence of the temple. And notice what David's happened to him. And that's happened to his heart in verse number one. 
He says, he's panting after the Lord. My soul panteth after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Now, notice what grief has created in the heart of David. Grief has produced something wonderful in the heart of David. It's produced a desire and a hungering for God. Notice that. He says, my soul panteth, my soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? The first good we can find in our grief this morning is this, number one. Grief will develop our desire. If we will allow it this morning, the grief that we're going through will learn to develop our desire. We go through times of grief and desperation. Do you know what it does? It makes us crave and call out to God like we never have before. The past five weeks, I have prayed in ways I have never prayed before. Why? Because I've gone through grief that I've never gone before. And what David is experiencing here, something good coming from his grief, is the fact that he desires God and his renewal for his desire for God. Is that not our theme this year? Renew. What are we praying for? We're asking God to renew us. We want a renewed desire for God, and we're going through this grief, and we're wondering what good could come from this. What good could come from losing five good men out of your church in just a span of five weeks? What good could come from that? I'll tell you what could come from that. It's making us desire God. And it's renewing our desire for God. David says, it panteth. Have you ever been so thirsty you panted? It's been a long time since I've been that thirsty. I used to have a real job before I was a pastor. And I used to be in construction and uh, building houses. And I want to tell you, driving stakes out there, getting ready to pour concrete, that'll make you thirsty. And man, it'll make you just, look, you'll even drink dirty water after a while. What happens? That hard work. Man, you're doing without, and you have this great need in your life, and you're panting for it. This is what David got out of the grief that he was going through. Now, why is this significant? I want you to see this. What I want you to notice is what David is not panting for. He doesn't say, when shall I come back into my palace? He doesn't say, when can I return to the comforts of my kingdom? He doesn't say, when... Can I get back to the place where everybody praises and adores me? No, he's desiring God. Now, the reason this is significant is because David is in so desperate need of his God, none of those earthly substitutes will do. Now, you let that sink in. David's sitting on his throne. He has whatever he wants whenever he wants it. He has all of the creature comforts of life. I mean, look, David just snaps his finger and anything is brought to him. I mean, I'm sure David could get a back rub any hour of the day. Get his feet rubbed. My wife told me when we first got married. I'm just letting you know, I don't rub feet. I bet you David could find somebody to rub his feet. I mean, he had everything he wanted. And yet, what is he craving? He's not craving his kingdom. He's not craving his palace. He's not craving his comfort. He said, I'm just craving God. Why? Because in the midst of this great grief, he needs a great God. And he says, the creature comforts of my life, they're not going to do it. The only thing that's going to work for me now is God. Can I tell you what we ought to do? We ought to take advantage of the grief we're going through. Oftentimes, our grief takes advantage of us, doesn't it? Why don't we take advantage of our grief and let that grief develop a greater desire for our God? Why? Because there's nothing this world has to offer that will substitute what only God can do. And David says, I need you. He's panting. He's thirsting for God. 
I've mentioned many times about how my wife and I and our family are trying to eat more healthy and do what's right as far as taking care of this temple. Man, it's hard. I'm learning to eat substitutes. I'm learning to eat honey instead of sugar. Not so bad. I've learned to eat wheat pasta instead of not wheat pasta, whatever pasta is made out of. I'm learning to drink water instead of tea. That's the tough one. Oh, my goodness, living in Mississippi, that's tough. And oftentimes people say, well, how are you doing with all of that? Here's what I say. It'll do. It'll do. Honey will do. The wheat pasta will do. You know, whatever it is, we'll do. Who was I talking about? Was it you, brother? He was you, brother Nate. The other day we were talking about sugar-free syrup. No, 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 no. We had to draw a line somewhere. <laughs> ah, that's not going to do. That substitute is not going to pay off. I mean, over time, you get tired of accepting substitutes, don't you? Sooner or later, you just need something fried. I'm thankful for the air fryer. We've got two of them in our home, and we use them often. But after a while, you need something that's been baptized in 400 degrees of hot boiling peanut oil. I'm a Baptist. I believe in submersion. Bury it down in there. A man can only eat so much quinoa, couscous. I need some meat, and I need it fried. I need some oysters. There's, listen, there's not a good substitute for an old fried oyster. There's not. I, I don't know what you would do. After a while, you just need the real thing because the substitutes aren't going to work anymore. And you know what our grief will do for us? Our grief will help us realize substitutes won't do. Got to have the real thing. Watch what David says. Very important words, verse 2. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. He's specific. Not just any God's going to do for David. David's on the run. He's being grieved. Everything has been turned upside down. He's out of his comfort zone. David says, I need the real thing. Substitutes of the palace and creature comforts aren't going to work. I need the real thing. Just like substitutes and food, after a while you get tired of them. Do you know there's a reason it's called the impossible whopper? It's impossible to make a whopper out of plants. All right? I don't know if you realize that. That's why they call it the impossible whopper. It's impossible to call that meat. That's not a whopper. That's a vegetable sandwich. That's all that is. You want a whopper? You want that flame-broiled goodness? Everybody's going to go to the Burger King after we leave today, aren't we? I'm telling these restaurants ought to give me a cut for sending people their way. I mean, give me a finder fee for sending people down there. Doesn't work. You need the real thing. Flame broiled, 100%, all beef patty. We think it is. You know, it's only that thick, but it's meat. It's some kind of meat. They said it's kangaroo. I'm not sure, but evidently I enjoy kangaroo. You need the real thing, don't we? Substitutes aren't going to do. So what's something good we can get out of our grief? Grief will develop our desire. David says nothing else will do. Now watch this. What's happening? The greatness of his grief has caused him to hunger the greatness of his God. The greatness of his grief. He said, it is great, it hurts. How many times have we said that lately? Headed down Highway 59. My head's propped up against the window of my car. I said, Lord, this is unfathomable. I said, Lord, I, I don't understand. Lord, what are you doing through this? What good could come out of losing five wonderful men, faithful servants to our church? What could come out of that? What good? And then he showed me. Grief develops our desire. It makes me want God more. Because there's nothing that could fill the void in my heart that only God could. Now notice David says this in verse 2, we're going to hurry. He says, when shall I come and appear before God? 
David says, I just want to be in his presence. I just want to be in his presence. How often can we take it or leave it when it means coming to church? How often? I don't need that today. Ah, you know, I can afford to sit out today, you know. I went two weeks ago, so I don't have to go this week. I mean, I'm doing pretty good. I'm already 100% above last year. I mean, I'm doing all right. So, you know, I don't have to come today. I don't need to come today. But I assure you, grief has a way of making us desire to be in the presence of God. Think about last year, how many times we had to be outside of this building. And you know what that prolonged absence away from God did for us? Made us want to be here. Just want to be in church. I just want to be in his presence. I believe it would be a shame this morning for us to experience such great loss and such great grief and not develop a greater desire for God. Why don't you let God do for you today what only God can do for you? Five and five weeks. Unfathomable grief. What good could come out of that? Number one, grief will develop our desire. Number two, look down if you will. We see in verse number three how this desire came about. He says, my tears have been my meat day and night. My tears have been my meat day and night. That's a lot of crying. He says, while they continually say unto me, where is thy God? Notice the tears here. This is not just momentary remorse. I think we're all guilty of getting stirred up just a little bit and we cry just a little bit of a tear and we feel comforted by the fact that we cried a little bit at the altar and we go back out and we were not changed yet. Do you know why? I fear oftentimes we get saddened, but we're not broken. There's a big difference in being sad and being broken. I believe what you see in verse number three is you see David is broken. That's the second thing that's good that can come from our grief. Number two, grief will bring about brokenness. Grief brings about brokenness. Friday on my way home, obviously I loved all of the men that we have lost. I've cried about all of the men that we have lost. Friday on the way home, it all kind of added up a little bit. Got in my office, closed the doors to spend some time with me and the Lord, and I was broken. My wife comes in. For some reason, when your wife comes in the room, you're even more broken. And we just cried together. And I told my wife, I said, I don't understand. But I'll tell you something good that came from brokenness. I couldn't hold it in any longer. You know, as a pastor, you feel like you've got to get out front and lead everybody, which you do. We've got to be confident. We've got to be bold. We've got to be encouraging. We've got to lead people through this crisis. They can't see me cry, and you hold it in. And after a while, one, two, three, four, five, you get broken, and you can't hold it in anymore. Now, stick with me. Why is that not a bad thing? I found that when I am broken... Self leaks out. Let that sink in. Brother Robert, one of our most faithful praying men, goes to heaven first. He'd always catch me right here. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. And he did. Brother Roger, our most faithful men to our bus ministry. Every, every Saturday, bus breakfast. Or takes him to heaven. Oh, then Brother Danny comes along. Brother Danny held our world together around here. Or takes Brother Danny. Brother Arledge, what a wonderful testimony that was, hearing how all the lives he had touched and influenced. 
people that are in church today because he knocked on their door and takes him to heaven. And Brother Cook, one of the most faithful men working on the buses out there, I told Brother Nate and Brother AJ as we left their house Friday night, I said, you don't think of buses as being very important, but God calls those children that ride those buses the greatest in the kingdom. Brother Cook worked on their chariots. Those big old yellow buses are the chariots that bring the greatest in the kingdom to the house of God. And Brother Cook kept those buses going. And the grief just piles up. And you get broken. Say, Lord, this is unfathomable. But I found in my brokenness what was streaming down my face and leaking out of my heart was self. When I'm broken, all of me and all of my strength and all of my fortitude, it leaks out. All of what I think I can do. I've got to lead our church through this. I told Brother Nay, as we've got to lead strong and confident through this. We've got to help our church get through this at this time. And oftentimes it's of ourself, isn't it? We find out when that greatness of the grief begins to mount up and we become broken, that self begins to leak out and we become empty. How could that be good? Well, you've got to be empty before you can be filled Remember this, brokenness provides us the opportunity to decrease so that God can increase. You know what we do? God wants to flood our life. God wants to fill our heart. God wants to occupy every part of our mind and our heart. God wants to fill us, but in order to fill us, we've got to be emptied of us. You know what we do? We try to hold it in. No, 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 I'm not letting self go. We're self-confident We've got self-esteem, we're self-defensive, we're just so full of self, and we try to hold it in. And finally, God lets something come along to break us. And when we're broken, self leaches out, and finally we get empty. And then we're ready to be filled. And David says here in verse number three, my tears have been my meat day and night. What is he saying? He's saying, I am broken. I saw a billboard years ago. It was by the Marines. And uh, it's, a, it's a Marine's billboard, absolutely. Had this guy, he was carrying a, one of those life rafts across the beach, and sweat was pouring down his face, and it was all dirtied up. And it says, pain is weakness leaving the body. I was like, man, I kind of wish I was a Marine now. I'd like to wear that on my T-shirt. Pain is weakness leaving the body. Man, I'd love to have been the guy that came up with that. That's a good one. How oftentimes are our tears of brokenness is self-leaving, realizing that I can't. I don't have what it takes. I went to the restroom the other day at our home and went to brush my hair and figure out how to groom my beard. This is a new one for me, Brother Jim. And I've watched YouTube videos on how to groom a, a beard. It's kind of new. I went in there and I noticed my wife, one of my wife's cosmetics there on the counter, uh, lotion or cream or something that was there, that the container had been cut in half. And I'm like, man, she must have been mad today. Just <laughs> Cut through it. Ask her what is going on. And she says, well, you know, the nooks and crannies of those cosmetic containers, you know, that stuff's expensive, isn't it? Yeah, tell me about it. And, uh, you know, sometimes you can't get it out of the corners that are there. And sometimes it gets stuck around the lid. As expensive as that stuff is, you want to use every drop, don't you? And so she just cut it open. She said, I'm just going to cut it open so I can get out all of that stuff that I, that I need to use. And, oh, my heart was pricked a little bit. 
How often there's a little bit of ourself tucked here and a little bit of ourself tucked there in the nooks and crannies of our heart and then God finally has to break us to get all of that self cleaned out. And oftentimes that's exactly what it takes. I think about Peter. Jesus comes to Peter and he says, Peter, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. He says, hey, Peter, Satan's coming for you. What did Peter do? He was full of himself. He was full of himself. Man, I'll stand by you. I'll go to prison with you. I'll die for you. Old Peter was just full of himself. But Jesus knew what was going to happen. Peter goes. Ultimately, he denies Christ three times. The Bible says he goes out, and what did he do? He wept bitterly. Do you know what was running down the face of Peter? Self. Peter was emptying himself out, and then God would go on to use Peter on the day of Pentecost to preach, and thousands would come to know Christ. But he had to be emptied. You know, if we don't empty ourselves for our own good, God may break us so that self can leach out. And I think the best thing we could all do this morning is be broken before we get broken. Why don't we just be broken? Why don't we come before God as a wretched, miserable sinner saved by grace, which is that's all we are, and say, God, without you, I can do nothing. God, I know that in my flesh, listen, there's no good thing in this stuff. Without you, I can't make it. And why don't we be broken before we get broken? But oftentimes, you know what we're full of? Pride. I'm not going to go down to that altar. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to get right with so-and-so. I'm not going to shed a tear. And God says, okay, for your own good, I'm going to break you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I don't want you to tell on yourself good or bad. But I think all of us have probably had to discipline our children at some point in their lives. If not, you needed to. Hashtag, what's wrong with America? Remember my daughter, two years old? And you wouldn't think it now because of the sweet young lady she is, but she had a little bit of a stubborn streak. She got it from her mother. And uh, one day she had done something wrong to Leslie, and she would not apologize. Leslie said, say you're sorry. I'm at work. I would have driven home if I'd have known it. I get home. Miley is still doing the... Do you know how they still do it in their sleep? I don't know what that is. It's some kind of a body reaction or something, you know. But in their sleep, you hear, and then you feel like a bad parrot, don't you? You hear them in there. I said, what happened? She goes, she wouldn't apologize. Oh, she bowed up. Two years old. For all have sin. We're born with that sin nature. Even our kids, even your cute little kids and grandkids, they got it too. And she would not be broken. And finally, Leslie, Leslie broke out. I don't know if it was a belt or a switch or a paddle or something that she's probably going to get arrested for. And finally, she broke. Finally, she broke. That pride coughed up. Get it out of there. And we think of herself, how foolish for kids to do that. And our father looks at us and says, how foolish for his kids to do that. We're so full of self and we're so full of pride. And God tries to teach us and guide us through his word that we can't without him. And yet we get so full of pride. And finally, for our own good, God breaks us and self comes leeching out. 
My tears have been my meat day and night. It's like Peter. David's realizing that only God will do. Luke chapter 7, we read about Jesus being anointed with the alabaster box. And you think about alabaster and the ointment that was in there, most likely myrrh. That box has to be broken in order for that fragrance and that ointment to come out. You see, if it's exposed to air for too long, it loses its savor. And so when they put it in the jar, they seal the jar. And the only way to get it out of the jar is to break the seal. And once you break the seal, then the good stuff can come out and you can get what you're after there. And she comes to Jesus to anoint him before his burial. The Bible says that she break the box in order to get out what she needed to get out in order to serve God. How often are we, do we refuse to allow God to break the box? To make us what we need to be. And we have so many examples in scripture. I'll not go into all of them. In Jeremiah, the vessel had to be broken before it could be made new. What are we asking God for this year? Renewal. Oftentimes, God has to break us before that vessel can be made new. In Nehemiah, the city was broken. The walls were broken before they could be rebuilt. What good could come from our grief this morning? Perhaps being broken is emptying us of ourself. Look at the end of verse number three. I'm going to hurry. Now we get to hear David's enemies speak. While they continually say unto me, where is thy God? Where is thy God? We see the enemy seizing on the opportunity. The devil's a coward. Never forget that. He's a coward. And he sees you in the midst of your grief and this trying time, this difficult time. And he comes up and he says, where is thy God? You sang about him, you talked about him, you wrote about him, you got bumper stickers about him, you got t-shirts about him. All right, you're in the midst of this grief, where is your God? But there's something wonderful that can come from this. Notice David says, he writes, where is thy God? He's having to answer this question. That's the third thing. Grief will cause us to consider. Grief will cause us to consider. The greatness of the grief caused David to go back and see who he was trusting in. Notice the enemy's asking him this question, where is thy God? And you go through grief and the devil comes to us and he says, all right, you serve God faithfully. You've done everything you know to do. And yet look, all of these things keep happening. Where's your God now? And you know what it causes us to do? It causes us to go back and consider who we're trusting in. Now hear this this morning. Some of the greatest revivals that have ever taken place in mortal man's personal life and nations around the world, happened when calamity struck and everyone was forced to reflect on what they were trusting in. Remember September 11, 2001? Hard to believe it was 20 years ago. The churches were full that Sunday after. You say, how do you know? I was preaching in one of them. People had flooded the altars. Why? Because when this great attack and this great grief had come upon our country, it caused all of us to reconsider what we're trusting in. What good could come out of the grief we're going through? Perhaps God's trying to help us to make sure we're trusting in what we're supposed to be trusting in. Think about last year, all that America went through and all that America's continuing to to go through. And I still don't think we've gotten it. I don't think we got it. We go through an entire year of calamity and this pandemic and, and politics and social unrest and grief upon grief upon grief, as David says in verse number three, continually. You look down, he describes it in verse number 7. 
Deep calleth unto deep in the noise of thy water spouse. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. David says it's over my head. And things get over your head. You know what it makes you do? Reconsider. What am I trusting in? I think a lot of people that have put their faith and trust in the economy and politics have realized real quick that their faith is misplaced. And all of a sudden you go back and you're asking the question, where is thy God? I think a lot of us found out in last year. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to do it the credit of saying the number. Last year we found out that our faith was misplaced. We put our faith in things that failed us. And we started finding ourselves asking the question, verse 3, where is thy God? I think about Peter when he was walking on the water. Peter walked on the water to go to Jesus. The Bible says he looked around and saw the winds boisterous and the waves crashing around. And what did he begin to do? He began to sink. He sank because he was trusting in himself at that moment. And what happened? All of a sudden, as he's about to go under, he cries out to Jesus. You see, the calamity that he was going through and the grief that he was suffering because he was about to go into the waves made him consider who he was trusting in. Now, why doesn't that work for us? Why doesn't it work for us? We go through grief after grief after grief, and yet how often do we not consider what we're trusting in because oftentimes God jerks the rug out from under us to realize we're trusting in the wrong things. And David says here, where is thy God? Can I ask you this morning, where is thy God? Is your trust in something that will uphold you when you preach five funerals in five weeks? When you grieve the loss of five wonderful men in our church, is your faith in something this morning that will uphold you with that? I want you to know if it's in Christ it is. Our hope and our joy. When I talked to Brother Cook the other night on the phone, about 3 o'clock, we were joking back and forth together. And I said, Brother Cook, I just want to encourage you. I said, you keep hoping in what you've been hoping in. He says, oh, pastor, I've been doing that since 1978. I says, brother Cook, you've been doing that since I was, before I was born. Makes me feel young. He says, yes, sir. He says, I've been hoping in him, and I'm not going to stop hoping in him. Just an hour and a half later, he got to see his hope. Unbelievable. He had lived with his hope in Christ, and it sustained him. And just an hour and a half later, he was looking eyeball to eyeball with his hope. Can I ask you, do you have that kind of hope today? Because in the midst of our grief, grief will cause you to consider, where is thy God? And I fear this morning, oftentimes, our faith isn't something that's going to let us down. Several years ago, I went hunting in Texas. It was down there in the middle of the scrub brush. And on the way down there, I bought my license at Walmart. And I was out of bullets, so I went to their hunting section to buy some bullets. And they had the expensive bullets that I know were good. And they had these cheapo Russian bullets. Well, I was cheap. I could barely afford to go on the hunt. And I says, I'm going to buy the cheap old Russian bullets. I mean, Russia shoots a lot of people, so I figured their bullets are probably good. <laughs> Delete that from the live stream, okay? They're going to come to my house. These guys in uniforms, you know, are going to come get me tonight, probably. So I got the cheap old Russian ammo. I spent one and a half days going through the brush. I'm hunting this particular ram. I'm looking for this ram, and I go through the brush, and I'm getting poked and scratched and stuck. Everything down there will poke you, scratch you, or bite you. <sighs> Finally get to the woods, and there he is. I see him, the ram that I want. He's in my office right now. Well, he's not him, but it's what's left of him back there in my office. I don't have a live ram back there. Some of you got to go back and feed your ram. No, he's, he's dead. He's on the wall. He's decoration. I get up there and I raise my gun. I waited till one ram cleared where he was. I pulled the trigger. Click. 
They look up. I duck. I chambered another one of those wonderful Russian rounds. Click. I'm thinking, good grief. I just belly crawled through cactus, scorpions, dung beetles. Those are real. All the way through there. And I wasted my time because I put my trust in something that wouldn't see me through. You know what I did? I belly crawled back out, went back out to my father-in-law, grabbed his gun, belly crawled back in the woods and shot the ram. You see, what I realized was I had my faith and trust in something that wasn't going to get the job done. And I had to go back and get the thing that I needed that would get the job done. You see, I was reconsidering. Now, folks, as we go through this grief, what's something good that can come from our grief? Maybe God wants you to reconsider what you're trusting in. That's the whole theme. Listen, when you read the minor prophets, Haggai, what does he say? Consider your ways. He says, you sow much, you're planting a lot, but you bring in a little. Consider your ways. You get all of this money and you put it into a bag that has holes in it. He says, consider your ways. They're going through the difficulty in order they might get to the place where they reconsider what they're trusting in. So number three, grief will cause you to consider, but yes, there's a four. I just disappointed half of you. Quickly, verse four, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had, past tense, gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. What is he saying? David's on the run. Watch this. There's nothing good to look forward to. I mean, I pray we don't have another five weeks like the first five weeks. What are you going to look forward to? It just seems grief after grief after grief. So watch what David does. When he can't look forward, what does he do? He looks back. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God. The fourth good we find in grief is this. Grief will require us to reflect. Grief requires us to reflect. In his grief, David didn't have a lot to be joyous about, and so he looked back and remembered the goodness of God. If there's something I could help our church with today, I would encourage you to do this. In the midst of our grief, when it's hard to find anything to look forward to, why don't we just look back on the goodness of God? Why don't we reflect on what God has already done at this place that God has brought us to? Up until this time, David had providence. He had the privilege of God. He had all of these blessings, and now all of that's gone. And so instead of crying the blues, he turns around, and he says, I remember the opportunity of what God had provided. I remember when I preached to this empty building for several months. And at first, it was kind of neat and different, Brother Nate. It was different, preaching to an empty room. Brother Brent sat over here, drinking coffee during the service, had his tie all loosened up. You know, we just, it went to pot, you know, when y'all weren't in here. But Brent's sitting over there drinking coffee. I mean, these guys are back there playing tic-tac-toe, you know, and paper, rock, scissors. I watch them, you know, laser tag in the back while I'm preaching. You'd be, be amazed at what went on when you weren't here. No, I'm picking. Brother Brent did drink the coffee, though. <laughs> I mean, it's Brother Brent. But after a while, man, that got old. But Richard wasn't here to amen. But Jim wasn't there to encourage me. I mean, he got quiet and... I started missing you guys, even some of you that I don't like. <laughs> I'm picking. Started missing you. Why? Man, it wasn't exciting coming up here every Sunday preaching to an empty building. Man, just nothing to look forward to. So then I started thinking, man, I, I used to love it. Brother Robert, come up to me, praying for you. 
Miss Sherry Lee prayed for you today. Even people that come up and bother me, I was missing them. Why? Because I'd done without, and now I was reflecting on the goodness of God. Real quickly, I think about the prodigal son. He's out there in the far country. He's out there living it up, and all of that ran out. The good times are gone, nothing to look forward to. The Bible says this, that when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. You know what he's doing? His grief is requiring him to reflect. Man, I had it good. So what good could come out of our grief? Number four, the season of reflection on God's goodness. Maybe God wants us to look back and realize how good we had it. And we'll look forward to when God does bless again and be thankful for it. And finally, I didn't tell you I was going to have five because I didn't want you to stroke out. That disappoints you right off the bat. I've done that too many times already. Notice what David says. At the end, when he reflects on the goodness of God, he comes to this conclusion in verse 5. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. David starts off in verse number 1, panting and thirsting for God. He's grieving in verse number 3, and yet verse number 5, he is all of a sudden has a mood change. Everything has bounced back. Why? He realizes that the greatness of his God overshadows the greatness of his grief. He says, you know what? Yes, I've gone through these tough times. It looks like there's a rough road ahead, but I look back and see the goodness and greatness of God, and I say, why art thou cast down my soul, and why art thou disquieted? Hope thou in God. God's not gone anywhere. God is where he's always been. The great God that holds together this world and spins it on its axis. How does that work? I don't know. They say we're spinning tens of thousands of miles an hour. How do we not fall off? I have a hard time staying on a tilt-a-whirl. And yet we're spinning on this thing. God holds it all together. And God's held it all together up until now. And God's going to hold it all together from here on out. So therefore we hope thou in God. And watch what he says. I will yet praise him. I will yet. That word yet means in spite of. I will yet praise him for the help of his countenance. You know what David's doing? Number five. The good that can come out of grief is grief will prove our profession. We profess a lot about God, and we talk a really good game. But it's in grief that we prove it. We talk about the might of God and the power of God and the sufficient grace of God. We talk about those things. We sing about those things. But can I tell you where you prove those things? You don't prove them in the palace. You prove them in the pain. I preach about sufficient grace. I told several people this week. I know that John 15, 5 says, without me, ye can do nothing. And I believe it up here. But oh, now I believe it in here. I've proven it in my pain. Something good has come from my grief. I've proven what I've professed. I'll give you this and I'm done. Job chapter 42. Turn there with me, if you will. Job chapter number 42. I want to show you this, and we're done. I know I've kept you a little late, but I want you to hear me. Job chapter 42. Now, I want you to take the page that Job 42 is on, and I want you to turn it like you're going towards Psalms, and notice 
This is the last chapter. Notice that. Job 42 is the last chapter. If you know what Job has gone through, it is grief upon grief upon grief upon grief. Messenger after messenger after messenger. Your children are dead. Messenger comes, your property's gone. Messenger comes, one after another, calamity upon calamity upon calamity. His health is stricken one after another. Continually, Job is in grief. We get to the end of the story in Job 42. Watch what he says. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholding from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. Verse 5. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye seeth thee. You know what Job's saying? There's something really good in my grief. I've heard of thee with the hearing of the ear. Job knew him up here, but Job says, but now my eye seeth thee. You see, the good that came from his grief is he proved what he professed. It's easy to talk a good game about God in here. That's easy. It's easy for me to get up here and preach. I love to preach. Too long, but I love to preach. It's easy. But when you're standing between the school building and the church building, you get the phone call. Things don't look good. And walking out, I walked around the entire building before I got back to my car, and I'm thinking, I'm praying to myself, Lord, no. No. Can't afford this right now, Lord. Our church is taking hit after hit after hit, and they've rebounded, they've rebounded and rebounded. Lord, not again. Then you get the phone call. Oh, it's easy to talk about the grace of God, but in those moments, you find out it's sufficient. And you find out that there is a peace that passes understanding. But you only prove that in the pain. David says, why am I cast down? Do we miss these folks? Absolutely. But right now, we just have a temporary, long-term relationship. It's temporary. They're still our friends. They're just away for a little while. We're going to see them again soon. But while we're here, we need to find the good in the grief. And the goodness in the grief is simply God wanting to use what we're going through to renew us. Think about it. David had a renewed desire. He was emptied of self. He was broken. He reconsidered what he trusted in. He reflected on the goodness of God he, just, he proved what he had professed. That's renewal. That's revival. I believe the goodness that could come out of the grief this morning is God revives our hearts. But the question is, are we going to allow God to use our grief to empty us of self that we might be filled with him? This morning, let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed.